when I was a kid, it was a family tradition to go to church every Sunday. Like clockwork, we go 1045 and we're there to maybe quarter to one. We left the house at 1045. We got out about 1230, quarter to one, something like that. It wasn't fun. But I went because my mother made me go. 30 years later, I've changed my opinion on going to church and religion on the whole. I am Gregory. So today is Friday. It's Friday evening. Um, hopefully you all are out having fun. It's Friday night. It's not even the evening. I am in the house as I am always. So I figured let's spend it talking to my favorite friends. Well, technically I'm talking to myself. And then I'll talk to you later on. You'll hear me talking to you, but I won't be talking to you. You'll be listening to me and I'll be talking earlier. So it's not really a conversation. It's more of a transference of communications. But nonetheless, you get my point. So without going down the rabbit hole anymore, let's make this interesting and continue on with my topic for tonight. By the way, the tequila is flowing. I'm feeling good. And I hope you, when you're listening to this, if you have the opportunity to pull up a chair, pull up a drink, and just sit back and chill out and just vibe with me for a little while. So, yeah, like I mentioned, as a kid, that was what we did. I got up, Sunday morning we get dressed. Some mornings, my grandfather would come to the house and pick us up. I think it was a time when my mother's car wasn't running. We'd all go to the same church on the west side of Detroit. Um, some years afterwards, we switched churches. My mother found one on the east side, not too far from my house, and we went. And, uh, you know, I did what any other kid did. I reached into my mom's purse for candy. I listened. I sat as patiently as I could, as quietly as I could, waiting for the telltale signs that the service was over. Service ends, I get in the car, we ride home. Maybe we come home and have something on, to eat on the way, but I got home. Never really heard a message or a story or the, the, the sermon of the day. Spent most of my time watching the nurses in the church and the, the deacons do whatever they did. You know, you watch it and then the, the, the church deacons usher you in the way. If you're a kid and you get a little noisy, the old cats will tell you, that, hey, hold it down. That's how it was back then. You know, nobody was afraid to talk to somebody's kid. If it was, even if it wasn't their child, to tell them you're a little out of pocket, calm down, listen, pay attention. So, for the most part, we behaved ourselves. But, like I said, I didn't listen to the message. Uh, took some time, some years later, when I was um, going to church as a little older child, kid, maybe teenager, early teens. Well, when we were in, like I said, the, the church my mother found later on, we would go down and listen. And the stories were interesting to me. Mm. And I um, always felt like, you know, this, this is interesting. It's an interesting story. And, uh, you know, I started realizing that some of these stories, someone told me that these stories are true. I was like, oh, wow. So I became amazed. Like, wow, these stories are true stories? You know, it's funny, as a, as a child, you accept adults, um, an adult's um, direction, 
their opinion or their thoughts on something. You don't question it as a child because they're an adult and you don't think they're wrong. So I just rolled with that. Uh, as I got older, I kind of faded away from church. I kind of moved away from it. My mother kind of stopped going as much. Um, she was working nights on the weekends, so she wasn't available. My father was never a church goer. Even when we went uh, with my mother and grandparents, my father never went. And uh, my father would tell you himself, he's a, he's a man that believes in God. He, you know, he, he doesn't really promote it and speak too highly of it. But if you ask me, he tells you that to an extent. Um, so I was kind of in the middle. You know, I had a mother who followed her father and went to church. And as a little girl, she went to church all the time. It was church, Sunday school, all, the, all that. And I didn't have to do it all the time. I did do Sunday school sometimes, but not on a regular basis. I wasn't one of these kids raised in the church. But I, did, I was exposed to it. Uh, my father, on the other hand, for whatever reason, chose to not go. So, you, you're you impressed upon by both of those parents. They both play a part, play a role. Uh, both of those um, encourage you in different directions, in different ways. So, it wasn't until my late, I'll say late 20s, almost 30s now I think about it, let's say late 20s, early 30s, where I started going to church again. Um, I'm going to say, I know the year. I know the year was 2005-ish. So, so I'm like late 20s, late 20s, 28, 29. And the reason I started going was my grandmother. Now, I'll back up a little bit. Um, I had gone to church once or twice through those years. And uh, by through those years, I being from, let's say, 16, 17-ish, up to 30. Ooh, really? So I spent a few times in church. Not a lot, not a regular basis. I mean, you know, maybe there was an instance where I went two or three Sundays in a row, but it wasn't consistent. Um, however, when my grandfather passed away, 99, or 99, not at 99, <laughs> in 99, my grandmother kind of going through this, re this adjustment phase where she kind of figure out what she wants to do. And she would go to church a little bit. But ultimately what happened is she asked me to start taking her. And I did. And I started going. And as an adult going, I was able to observe and uh, absorb what was um, being preached and the environment and the people in a different way. More responsibly, more intuitively. It was It was clear to me. So... I would listen, and I think my grandmother and I went to the church together for about five years, and by that I mean every Sunday I would pick my grandmother up, we would go to church, I'd take her, she'd sit in the, in, uh, in the uh, pew, her pew, and I would sit up on the stage because I was playing the drums, and it, it also gave me a different perspective on the church too, being up on the, in the pulpit or on, on, on the stage as I would call it, where it was different than sitting in the congregation, sitting with the congregation. It was different because you're able to look upon the people and you're hearing the pastor and it gives you a different perspective on it. At least it did for me. So for five years, roughly, I can't remember the year, but I know, I know the number five is in my head for the time. I was there. Five years, roughly, you would take a year. Um, I started hearing these sermons, and I would hear the sermons, and I would listen to the pastor, and I would see the, the assistant pastor come in, the minister of music. I watched the profound effect it have on the the members, 
um, young and old. I would see older members coming in. Some of the older members were 80s, 90s. Some young kids, of course, you had the little kids coming in. Their first their first introduction to being in church and it five, six years old, four years old. I've seen babies that were born and brought up to the church and, and presented to the congregation. I've heard testimonies. Uh, you know, all the things you get to hear, the, 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 the choir singing. I was there for choir practice, rehearsal. I got to know church members, minister of music, like I said, the assistant pastor and his wife, the, the pastor and his wife, his family, his son, daughter. Got to know them very well and was really it was a very immersive experience. So when I was present on Sunday morning for service, I was fully engaged. And there's a, okay, there's a thing about me. I have to say this before I go any further. Anytime I'm introduced to something new or different, I go into it with an open mind and optimism because I want to see if it's something that I like I agree with and want to be a part of now I'm not a big group person matter of fact I'm not even a group person I don't like groups I don't like organizations I don't like uh, group initiatives so the church is kind of in that realm for me and I'll tell you why I've always felt like the church members, or whether your faith, it doesn't matter what your faith is. And I'm not going to mention a specific faith or religion because it doesn't matter. Um, the subject of the topic of this um, subject is belief and commitment. So, um, like I said, it doesn't. It didn't matter. Um, but, but to me, um, but that doesn't matter. It doesn't. It doesn't. It, that doesn't matter thing is that it's a group and like I'm saying it's something that I'm always apprehensive about I don't always agree with everything someone says I don't always agree with the group says but I felt that a church tends to follow the general beliefs of the group of the religion so when I went to church and sat there I'm listening openly I wasn't judging I wasn't saying this is this is BS. I wasn't saying it was true. I just went in and was like, man, fuck it. I'm going to do this and see what I feel afterwards. As I approach everything, I want to see what I tell myself, what I feel, what I think. I don't, you know, I want to know because it may be something that I, I truly enjoy. I don't want to pass up by prejudging. So, over those five years, I noticed something. I noticed that the pastor, every so often, would sell the same sermons over and over again. He would repeat them. And then when I had members come and do their confession, or do a testimony, rather, I would hear their testimony, and I started to see a pattern. And the pattern was that all these testimonies are generally the same. And I even did it myself. I got gave my testimony. I gave one of my own. I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it because I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to give my testimony. In 2003, I said I've been saying something. It was 2003. I know because it was 2003. It's 2004. It's right there. So, I'm like, we're all kind of saying the same things. And I determined, it, man, I could break down 
I could break down people into into a few groups. Uh, I'm going to go into that a little, a little later about um, people and groups. But when I, I would listen to these sermons, I'm like, man, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. We all had the same issues. So this kind of made sense to me when I would hear people afterwards saying it felt like the pastor was talking to me. I was like, well, it wouldn't really be that hard for him to talk to you because most of us had the same problem. So I'm like, okay, this, this guy is really a therapist. All right. Therapy is good. It's good to have someone to talk to, someone to listen to you, someone to feel they understand you. Okay, good. Good. I can roll with that piece. Then I started looking at the stories of the Bible, the, 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 the sermons he gave a little differently. So I look at them analytically. When you hear something over and over again, after a while you start hearing different pieces of it. You start looking at it differently. And what I started saying is that I was a kid, I thought these stories were true. And I said, well, what if these aren't true stories? Hmm. Well, if they're not true stories, Greg, what are they? And I, I you know, jumping to the end of this piece, I determined that these are life lessons. These are life lessons and rules to live by. Well, if they're rules to live by, who wrote the rules? Well, church going folk will say they were passed down by God. And the passes of vessels of so on and that. So I'm like, okay. And mind you, this is my interpretation of how I process the data I was receiving. I know somebody jumped at me saying, no, nah, you're wrong. Da, 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 da. I don't really give a fuck about that. I'll tell you as an individual how I perceive this. And my experience coming from zero, being knowing nothing, to where I was at that point in time. So I said, okay, all right. These are life lessons. This is where you should live your life. Hmm. How am I living my life? And I started thinking about it in comparison to the servants. I said, I'm living my life fairly in line with what I'm hearing. So, do I really need to hear this? And I was like, well, Greg, and again, this is my inner dialogue, you don't really need to hear it. But maybe there's something that you can hear that might help you. Of course, correct you a little bit if you're falling off. All right, all right, I'm cool with that. That's cool. That's true. A pair can sometimes nudge you on the shoulder when you're an adult. Say, hey, get yourself in order. You kind of, they can give you a little bit of advice and correct you. Cool. But I went further down the rabbit hole on that and kind of you know, got a little more time at the church listening things. I said, you know what? I feel I'm being misled. I'm going to tell you why. I felt this way. I felt that I, f I felt that the overall narrative was that being in church, being religious, being a born again Christian, whatever religion was. That's why I said I want to mention religion, but I'll use that as an example, or a good Muslim, or whatever, is essential to adhering to the religion, and it's essential into living a life as so forth and so on and God, your God has deemed appropriate. And I said to myself, well, I said, I said it's an amazing thing. I said, what happens if I never knew about this? What would I be and how different would I be? 
Now, we can make the argument that, Greg, as a child, you were brought up in a church, and although you didn't hear it, you were influenced and encouraged by it. And we can say that. But I don't remember anything that was told to me in church, although I do remember what was told to me by my, by my parents. Uh, my mother was raised up in church, and I think my father was. He said he was. So maybe they was encouraged. It was, it was passed on to me indirectly. Quite possibly. But what if that's not the case? And I kept using myself as a measuring stick. I said, when I do something or I think something or I feel something, I don't, at that point, I was not looking to the book for guidance. I was not. And I'd already told you that I kind of thought that these stories weren't real. So, in my mind, the way I work was analytical. I said, huh, hmm, what's the point of this? Honestly, what was the point of this? And I came to one conclusion. After going through many, I came to one conclusion. It was the fear of not believing. Um, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna touch on the experience that happened to me, and um, the, the the experience was uh, the defining moment. Uh, but let me touch, let me let me kind of wrap up on this. Let me let me touch on this a little more. At a point in my life, I realized that I did not believe that religion was real. I believe that people created religion, albeit for a very good reason, but it wasn't real. It wasn't what it was presented to be. However, <laughs> I will say, although I would say it's not real, I would never say it's not. I wouldn't say it's not necessary because I understand the reason for it. But that piece of it being real, nah. Don't believe that. It's a perfect story. It's a perfect story written for imperfect people. Over probably centuries. But it's a necessary. Think about it. Let me, let me compare this out. Back in 2000, early 2000s, the internet was the wild, wild west. You could do whatever you wanted. You literally could do whatever you wanted. And there were no laws. Technology moved faster than laws. So people were doing whatever the fuck they wanted. Eventually, the government said, hold the fuck up. We got to do something about this. People are losing their goddamn minds. We don't have any laws to govern this. We need to, be, we need to get this under control. And they slowly invoked laws and guidelines. And now the internet, to some extent, is bound by rules and regulations. Well, not, not to some extent. It's bound by rules and regulations. None like it was in 2001. People are the same. The, I've grown to a point where I realized that people are not as sophisticated and as civilized as we think we are. So, um, you need some sort of safeguard in place to make sure that we don't turn into monsters. You know, I mean, I don't care who you are or who you know. Somebody has done, somebody knows someone that done something stupid as hell. Something ridiculous, something crazy as hell. 
And he's like, man, you just need God in your life. Now, my response to that is, like, I don't need, I wouldn't need God in my life, but I'm not the person that does something crazy. That person did something crazy? Oh, they need something, they need God in their life. And I, um, I know what I'm saying sounds crazy because I'm telling you that I truly told you I don't believe this stuff is true. But it's, 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 it's a, it's a necessary tool. So, but for me, I didn't think so. For me, I was like, hey, fuck this. I don't need this. I got everything out of it I needed to get in five years. I didn't need to spend a lifetime going to church, giving tithes to a church. I didn't need to go praise into a God that, by the way, didn't look like me, which didn't fucking, oh, Jesus, that didn't look like me. That's a whole nother one, too. Sidebar in this shit. How the hell do you pull that off? How the fuck does that happen? Your whole story is set in a part of the world where there are no blonde-haired, blue-eyed people. Yet and still, one savior, blonde-haired, blue-eyed. Every history book you pull up about, oh, I'm like, I don't want, oh my God, I don't want to go into this shit because I'll be here all fucking night. I'm, I'm, all, I'm getting off track. I'm getting off track. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Google it. Google it. Google it. But that's what I got to. So, fast forward to my life now. Um, I've had discussions with people. I've had debates with people. And I would never discourage anyone or, or question anybody one about their beliefs. I think if you have a belief, it's yours. It's cool. If you believe it, that's all that matters. It's personal. It's your belief. Wonderful. Have at it. That's you. That's what's important to you in your life. We, o- we only have one life and it's not very long. That's what makes you feel whole and grounded. Then all, by all means, Go for it. Do not let me deter you. I would not even deter you. If I, if you thought I was deterring you, let me know and I will correct myself. But by the same token, if I should have to tell you, with all due respect, eh, I don't believe it. Don't beat me up. And I, oh, I've been beat up about shit. I've been beat up about shit. But that's what's got me where I am now. So if I had to define myself, and I love defining myself because no one knows me better than me. I would say to a person that says, eh, Jesus rose from the grave. Nah, didn't happen. Um, the stories of Jesus in the Bible could have been a regular man that was uh, exceptional that became a godlike figure. And there are stories that happened years ago that have been passed down and told. And now we don't know if they're true or false. We look at them. They're written in a book called the Bible. And King James Version, Old Testament, New Testament, whatever. We look at them as being the word. There was peop- There was a time when people realized that we needed direction. We needed control. We needed structure. We needed organization. And it is the most profound level of court understanding of of, of, of um, structure that we've ever had in life think about it even if you don't believe in a religious foundation you still cautiously approach it when people ask you about it you used to say well i'm some people say like i'm not religious i'm spiritual i openly will not say i'm not either uh i'm gonna tell you this story now i mentioned the story earlier i'm gonna tell you this story and this story is the one that 
uh, solidified my um, uh, vacation, vac vacating the church. Uh, and uh, I've told this story to certain people before. I've only told it a few times to a few people, though. Not very many. But I'm going to tell it now to you all because, well, I think we're friends. <laughs> so, I have, these very, I have these very close friends. And I would preface this by saying they are some of the most amazing people I've known in my life as far as friends. Um, they're friends through my wife, but they are some of the most amazing, exceptional people I've ever known. I know a lot of people. I've known them probably the least my time of all my longtime friends. But there is nothing I could ever say bad about these people. Um, nothing I would ever say negative about them. Nothing that they've ever done wrong. They have they have shown to be true friends, and um, they actually hold a lifetime friendship badge with me, as far as I'm concerned. And it wasn't directly; there was people that they were that they associated with. They were there with their house, so I'm at their home and I'm leaving. I have the kid; I had my youngest kids in the car, and one person I don't know who he was. Was he a friend of theirs or a family member? I'm not sure, but. I was uh, asked a question about coming to church. And I've had this question several times. And I've, I've responded very politely. I, you know, things you don't know about me. I, I'm not offensive to people who ask me about things that I don't agree with. I try to be as cordial and respectful and um, decent as I can. Because I don't want to be offensive. Because I, don't want, I wouldn't want someone to be offensive towards me. I try to keep that out there like that. So, you need to ask me some questions. I don't remember the, the exact... Um, wording for every question. So I'm going to give you just an um, overview, just a general generalization of it, not an overview, but a generalization. So the, the, the conversation goes like this. Now, mind you, I'm going to set the scene. I'm, I'm outside my, in my car. Uh, so it's a side street, neighborhood street. So I'm on the other side, opposite side of the street. They're standing on the porch. So we're communicating across the porch, the lawn, the sidewalk, the street, and then to my car. So they're, thinking, they're saying, the gentleman's saying uh, something uh, when are you gonna come to church? You gonna go to our church? And I say, well, you know, I gotta think about it. You no, know, I don't know. You know, whatever, whatever. Well, you know, you gotta come. Yada yada yada. And I'm like, I know, but you know, I gotta think about it and see. You know, we got all the kids. I got a lot of kids. I give every excuse I can. You no, know, I got all the kids. Big thing. Well, we got a van. We can pick you up. I'm like, in my head, I'm thinking, nobody picks me up and takes me anywhere. I'm not five years old. If I can't drive, I'm not going. So yada yada yada. Better blah, blah. So we go back and forth a little bit about that. But here's the phrase that let me know. I have no place in a church. And he says, you love your children, right? I said, yeah. I said, well, when they die, you're going to go to heaven, right? So I paused. And I can't recall what I said because at that point, my first response was to say, man, fuck you. But again, I've told you about my friends. I've told you people. They're friends to my wife. I don't want to destroy that connection. Those are her friends that she brought to me. I want to be respectful for them. So I give a typical Gregory bullshit answer. And he goes a little farther. And he said, well, you're going to bring them to church. You're going to bring them to church. You got to take care of your kids. You're supposed to be there. You're supposed to be one to make sure they do this. If you don't do it, then you're showing your little kids. At that point, I said something, and I got in my car, and I waited to them, and I said, I'm gone. Now, he didn't know it, but at that point, he had lost the possibility of one person ever changing their mind in life and going to church because of that one experience. 
It was the equivalent of a minority's first experience with a racist person of whatever race at a young age. Forever that moment will be burning that person's memory and they will live with that for life and they will judge everyone that comes before them with them, of that race as being like that person. That's the impact it had on me. Because I'm staying, I'm, 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 I'm resolute in my decisions. I don't make, I didn't make the decision with anger or frustration. I thought about it for a while. And I said, that's what I'm up against. See, if you go to a friend, let's, let's, let, me, let me sidebar this and come with a different scenario. If I go to a friend and say, hey, look, man, it's a swinger party going over here. You and your wife, you come with me and my wife to the party. And we're going to have a good time. If they say, that is not for me. You know, I don't do that. I'm not really interested in it. Most likely, I'm like, you know what? All right, cool. All right, how will I get back? Wife, make sure you wash your hands. Of course, brother. Then I'm, that person from that side is not going to force you. They're not going to make you feel bad about it either. If you were looking at someone going skydiving, they might try to talk you into it. But at the end of the day, they say, man, you got to feel comfortable with what you're doing. You got to be comfortable. You got to be this. Don't want you to be upset. Don't want you to be nervous. Because you could get into a lot of trouble with this. They're going to respect your apprehension and feeling to it. Not with church. Not with religion. They're going to use every tool in the book to make you feel like you should come. If you don't, you're going to hell. That was a problem for me. So, all the years I spent in church with my grandmother, sitting there listening to services, picking up what the pastor was putting down, drawing my opinion. All of that could have been worked toward me at a later point in life, changing, making a 180 and going. That one experience on that front porch pushed that out in number of years. The possibility to drop percentages, double-digit percents of me going. So, how does this all affect me in life at this point, you ask? It's a very good question. I'm going to tell you. Well, my children were very young at that age when I was doing that. I was going to church and doing that stuff. And I took my children. My wife went a few times. We all went and hung out. We went to services. But what we determined as a family was that the benefit, at the, the, the best uh, choice for our children was to not do what was done for us. My wife was raised in Catholic Church. I was not, I was not in Catholic Church. But what I wanted to do for our children, what we wanted to do, um, sort of a social experiment, was to see where they go. What happens if you do nothing? I took the whole approach of if no one ever introduced religion, would it exist? It wouldn't just exist by itself. It it is man-made or man-discovered or it's man-related. Someone has to invoke it. It doesn't exist without us. If this planet was devolved of human beings, it would not exist. It wouldn't self-germinate itself and show up again. If you cut down every tree on this planet and then people left, trees would show up again. Grass would show up again. Clouds would show up again. Water would show up again. Those are things that exist with or without us. It's very small. Now, I've said all that about religion. 
I will say that I wholeheartedly believe that there is something that we don't understand in this world, this universe, this galaxy, whatever. Galaxy is galaxy, then universe. That we don't understand. And have no idea about. But I leave that statement there. I don't expand on that anymore. I totally believe we don't understand it. It's one of those things where if you saw the meaning of life, you would explode. You just, your mind can handle it. I think that's exactly what it is. I sometimes wonder if there's a, there's like, we're like a Petri dish experiment. Down here doing all this major shit, fighting and worrying about political shit and racial shit and borders and different cultures and racism and racist people and sexism and classism. And we're basically some six-year-olds experimenting in a Petri dish. Because we can't see beyond what we know. In fact, we can't see beyond what we can see. Everything we know is what we see. It's not what, not what we inherently know. It's not inherent knowledge. It's what we can see. Everything that we know about our world, our life, our existence is based off what we have seen or can see or can examine. If it's outside of our conceptual range or perceptual range, we don't know about it. So, think about that. If there's something creating us, why would it? Why would we be able to see it? You know, whether it's like you know, some people's intelligent design or evolution or that. Look, we only have a speck of information to go off of. We're making we're making monumental, monster-sized footprints of decisions based off a speck of information. That shit is fucking arrogant, if you ask me. So, when I go to a service and I sit down in church, I go there. If my mother, who's asked me 17 times, 170 times maybe, to go to church, I'll eventually go. But understand, I'm sitting there not like you. I'm sitting there listening for inspiration from a story. Because I understand, in my mind, I cannot see past the fact that this is not real. It's not a real, it's not a real event. I can't get past that. I had a, a slight or small discussion slash debate with my mother about Noah's Ark, which I told her, I said, that's totally bullshit. And when they found a boat on a mountain, yeah, of course they did, because they were looking for one. And they found something that looks like what you think it would, what a boat would look like. Man, I, I don't know. I, I don't feel like I'm alone in feeling like this. I think it's just, you know, I think, and this is kind of getting into the second level of, of this whole thing, but it's like, I think that we're not as significant as we think we are. I think it's arrogance that makes us think we're significant. And a part of it, I think our, our arrogance is trying to cover the fact that we're afraid of dying. You know, I mean, we feel like we're so special that we must exist after death. What if we don't? What if we die and that's it? What if the whole joy of life is life itself, not the afterlife? You know, we don't remember the moment we were born. We don't remember anything before we were born. So, if, we don't, if we're not so special that we're always in existence, why should we think that when we die, we live on? We only live on in the hearts of those that remember us. I don't know. When we're gone, we're gone. When you die, nothing happens. That's the scariest thing for people to come to grips with. So religion gives you 
a hope, a glimpse of hope that there is life after death. And I respectfully disagree with that, with the interpretation, the interpretation of how that's generally uh, um, explained. I don't think there's life after death. I think there's life within life. I think you live on in the spirit of the people that remember you, the lives that you touch. And I think that's why we love our children so much, because our children are a replacement for self. They look like you. They act like you. They are who you were to an extent, plus their own person. That is your contribution. That is your legacy. It's not about you. If you live 80 years, 85 years, 90 years, or 60 years, or 70 years, it doesn't matter. Your life is that life. Life is precious because life is short. Life doesn't go on forever. There's no place of heaven when you go at the end and you sit there and you go see your old family members. What if you didn't like them? What if you didn't like your auntie and both of y'all made it to heaven? How does that work out? It might suck. Let's say the other side is going. Let's say I think I'm saying it's totally wrong. Eh, I give credibility to that. Let's say it's all wrong. Let's say it's all wrong. Is the arrogance in thinking that I'm significant wrong? No. If there's truly a heaven, we all go there after we die. I don't think we're all special for going there. I think living a life, if you want to take that book, living a life worth living, being a true and honest person. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't kill anybody. I didn't rape anybody. I ain't torture anybody. What if you find out all the people you thought weren't going to heaven got to heaven? Who goes to hell? Let's say if like let's say out of all people living is like they say there's 74 people in hell out of the existence of a hundreds of billions of people that have lived. Let's say only like 74 made it to hell. That's the most. Then that's it. Generally, most of us are going to heaven. I mean, most people you know are going to be in heaven. My grandfather is in heaven. My grandmother is in heaven. My auntie's in heaven. My um, other family members are in heaven. My great great grandmother's in heaven. They're all there. So that implies the fact that 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 that, that says that life exists forever. That means there's no purpose to life because life doesn't end. It just transitions. You know, so I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that too. I'm fine with being. I'm fine with being wrong, because my wrongness is based on believing people. Look, when I was born, I was told that God's your savior, and this, and then Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. Ooh, shit! You told me that somebody died for me. I don't want to die. I'm a kid. I don't. The last thing I want to do is die. I just saw a girl in the sixth grade I like. You told me I might die. You told me I die for me. That means I don't have to die. Oh my God. That sticks with me. That sticks with you as a kid. You're indoctrinated. It's almost like you want to say that religion isn't different from a cult. That's, yeah, that's, um, that's, uh, that's, that's kind of controversial to say. Um, maybe not. I don't know. How different is a cult from religion? We all follow a leader. 
and we give him money. Only thing we don't do is drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> that's, uh, that's fucked up, Gregory. Yeah, you said that. You thought it. I did. Oh, I'm going to say this this last um, uh, story here, and I'm going to leave you with this one. I was driving on the freeway maybe five years ago, my guess. Everything is five or three years ago. But then I was riding on the freeway. And I can't remember where I was going. But it was midday, maybe between 1 and 4 o'clock, somewhere in that window. Summer day, or early summer, maybe late spring. And I had what I affectionately refer to as a moment of clarity. Um, it's uh, kind of like I was able to see behind the curtains. And I had a glimpse of the activity behind the curtains and saw the strings being pulled. Everything just opened up. I was like, oh my goodness. And it was just like for a second. I didn't have a particular thought, but I had a feeling. And Everyone has a different definition or explanation for that, that his feeling is, but I'm going to tell you what I felt was like something was um, something was something was something touched me. Like something opened my bio system and was like this one here is still good. I was connected to the home. I was connected to home base for a, a brief second, and it was gone. And I was like, I'm trying to recapture that moment. I haven't recaptured that feeling, and that further let me know that there's something going on we have no idea about. We don't comprehend. We try to process it and try to understand it. So, my takeaway from all this is: doing what's comfortable for you, doing what you think is right. Oh, by the way, um, I didn't really expand on the social experiment we had in our household uh, with my children. I let them find their own way. I let them find their own religion. I let them find out what they want to do. And I've had three children out of um, a total of seven, three of which gone to church, have gone to religious, a different religion, but they go to church. They all have found foundations in God. And beliefs, and I never try to sway them from it. Um, one of my oldest actually asked me one time. He said, "I know you don't believe in God, but I ask you why." And I told him. And I also told him that I never told you this because I want you to find your own way and find your own belief. Because I feel like I wasn't given that opportunity. I was brought up in the church, and that's not something to be proud of. I was indoctrinated into religion. I didn't choose it. It, cho it was chosen for me. Um, my life has been no better or worse for abandoning it at this point. And even when I go, it's not to go to find meaning or to pray to God for forgiveness, for help, health, money, well, well-being, nothing. Because if I if I believe in God and I believe in everything that that I've been told God stands for. He doesn't give a fuck about giving you money, wealth, or well-being. That's that's my takeaway from it. 
Money isn't something you should ever pray to a God for. Health, sure you can ask for help, but it's not guaranteed. Well-being is relative. No, you live longer than the next man. You got well your well-being, your well-being taken care of. Your health is very well. He lived to be twenty-seven. You lived to be forty-five. Comparatively, you're doing well. So, I think it's a little bit of a, like I said, I go back to my original point. A little bit of arrogance. Uh, I'll be a controversial. I think that man is very insignificant in comparison in comparison to how we see ourselves. We see ourselves as being superior. We see ourselves as being special. You know, we see ourselves as being different than everything else on this planet, although we're made of the same elements. We're all carbon-based for the most part. We're all stardust. We're all of the universe. We're not different. Because we have the opposable thumbs and we have a mammalian brain. Is that it? We think that we're superior. We're superior on this planet. The day something shows up from another planet in a spaceship that's the equivalent of our Bugatti. And they look at us and don't even talk to us because we're basically earthworms to them. We'll see how significant we are. That's what I keep wondering about. That's what I keep thinking about. That's how I think about things when people say that God loves us. Well, what about the animals on the planet? They were here before us. Surely he loves them if he loves us. Uh, we're talking about cow or cattle. He put them here for us. Yeah, but not every last one of them. <laughs> not all of them. Take a note from the Native Americans. They killed buffalo and they ate exactly what they fucking needed and they used every inch of the animal. We hunt big game for sport. You'd think if he really loved us at one point in time, he still does when we kill elephants and other animals for sport. Just saying. We're not a prized possession. We're not the the top of the class. We had the potential to be. But if you truly think think and feel we're that way, um, you're probably a little delusional. So, hopefully I haven't ruined your Friday evening. We've ruined it Saturday now. But that's cool. We're all having fun, right? I hate to leave this on such a downer moment. I do. I'm not going to leave it on a downer moment. I don't do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to leave it on a downer. So I'm a, I'm a, let's, let's, let's leave it with a funny story. I'm going to leave it with something fun and entertaining. Let's see. I have, let's pull through my Rolodex. Pull through my Rolodex. I got one. <laughs> A sip of the tequila always helps the story go down well. So, you know me. I go back to the 80s, baby. That's where the fun stuff happened. The 90s was I. Right. 2000 became responsible. The 80s, for me, was where it's at. All right. I'm 12 years old. So, it's 88, 87, 88, something like that. No. Back then, to you youngins... There was no plethora of naked girls online. You couldn't see whatever you wanted, whatever you wanted. You had to get lucky. Lucky or find a real loose girl. A one with daddy issues. <laughs> you know, sometimes you find all three in one. 
then you hit the jackpot. That's a hat trick. So this particular day is a summer day. It's really hot outside. Uh, let me set the scene. So on my block, I had the hot girl in the neighborhood. I'm not going to say her name, but if she listens, she knows she was. I had the hot girl in my neighborhood. One block over was two hot girls, three hot girls. Uh, two other were sisters. And the other way, there was other hot chicks. But this is just for my block and the next block. And the fellas in my neighborhood. Now, when we was kids, you had to have a bike. Not a 10-speed or what we call um, a granny bike. You had to have a dirt bike. Because that's how we rode. This is before mom bikes were a thing. As far as we would do it. Mom bikes weren't really a thing. If they even existed. I don't know when they came about. But there were no mom bikes in my neighborhood until the 90s. You had to have a bike. And what we did in the summer was we had bike crews. So your bike crew would be your friends. This bike crew would be their friends. And sometimes y'all play, y'all roll together, y'all roll mob up. And then you see a mob of like 13 bikes rolling through. Different bikes, mag wheels, spokes, uh, little little things on the spokes to make noise. Baseball cars, the wheels, all that kind of stuff. Um, but you had to have a bike. You had to have a crew. That's how you got around. Wasn't no, wasn't no cars. We were too young for cars and we want to move. So you got to have a bike. Boys and girls. And that's the significant part of this. Boys and girls. So, this particular day is really hot. It's a really hot day, man. It's burning up outside. And I'm outside rolling, right? And I had a curfew. I had to be in by the time the streetlights came on. For real, for real. I had to be, I at least had to be on the block. I had to be on the block in front of my house. And once the streetlights came on, my pops was on the front porch, I could go three houses down from my house into the corner. I was one, two, third house off the corner. So I can go a total of six houses from the corner and along the streetlights. So and then my and my pop was out. If he was sitting on the porch having a beer, I could hang out there. But when he took his ass in the house, I had to take my ass in the house. It was no joke. It wasn't no but 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 my pops was not about that bullshit. He was like, bring your ass in the house, it's time to go. Get your shower and get your ass in the bed. I get I sit down here and watch more TV, have another beer. So this day, it wasn't close, it was close to dusk, close to lights on lights on time, but it wasn't quite. I'm riding with my crew. This is a good day. This is a good day because one of the chicks from the neighborhood was on her bike. She was riding. And I was like, man, this is one of the cute chicks. I'm not going to say her name. I'm not going to put nobody out there like that. And she, nobody remembers this story but me probably, hopefully. So I'm going to title this subject, this topic, The Day I Saw My First Boobs. <laughs> it seemed like that. I have to say boobs. I can't say tits because it was, it, it was well, no. Change the title. The day I first my, saw my first breasts. Because they were breasts then. They weren't boobs or tits. They were breasts. I can't say breasts. <laughs> breasts. <laughs> Alright, that's our first one. So, it's hot as hell. And as kids, we had uh, community fountains at every house. It's called the water holes on the side of the house. And... If you ride bikes now and drink out the faucet when you're hot, the, fountain, the water hose when you're hot, it is a liberating and enjoying almost orgasmic experience. The water that comes out of a water hose in the summertime is close to as close to alcohol as a minor can get in their life. You heard me? That's real shit. That's real talk. So, I'm riding. I'm riding now. I'm close to dusk and my friends are kind of going home so I'm really by myself a little bit I'm riding the park lot on the corner of the, of the Catholic Church right around the Catholic, park, Catholic lot, 
Catholic church, Catholic church parking lot. Funny for this story, this this podcast. I'm at a Catholic church parking lot. This. So, out of my corner of my eye, I see the hot chick riding her bike up and down our street. And then she starts circling in a certain area. So I'm riding to the parking lot. I'm going to my house and riding back to the parking lot and riding my bike. I'm riding around, whatever. And I pull up in my driveway and park my bike for a second. And her and her girl pull up my drive. Now, I pulled up my drive because it's hot. It's probably July, late July, early August. And I'm hot. I need some water. So I go get my water hose. I drag out to the front and I'm drinking water. And she pulls in my driveway. Oh, shit. Red alert, red alert. When a girl pulled up in your driveway back in the day, that was golden. That was golden. That was a sign that she was feeling you. She was cool with you. They was comfortable with you. They were coming to see you at your house. Most of the time, they just ride down my street, go at, go past me, and go to the older guy's house. Because that's, that, that's what was up. Girls like the oldest cats. But not this day. She pulled up my driveway on this day. And she was wearing some shorts. And a white t-shirt. Oh, shit. Now, I know now what was about to happen. But then I had no fucking idea. So I'm drinking my water to hold. And she's like, ooh, can I get some? And I'm like, hell yeah, you can get some of the water out of my water hose. You crazy? Shit, you can get some of the water anytime you want. She go up and get the water. And she's drinking the water. And said, girl, I'm hot. I'm hot. I'm just going to put on my shirt. And she takes the water hose and goes from one side of her neck, shoulder, to the other neck, shoulder, side. Like, like shoulder, neck, shoulder, neck. Down. And the water rolls down. Now, granted, keeping it 100, we was all decent kids. So she had on whatever you wear at that age. But I had never seen a wet T-shirt where the breast was wrapped around the T-shirt. Now, I got to say breast. Because it was a breast, like I said earlier, wasn't a tit. Damn, she wasn't a boob. That moment, I damn near passed out my own driveway. You ever almost pass out your driveway? It's an embarrassing moment. You don't even know it's coming at that age because you don't know what the fuck's happening. But it's kind of like if someone chops your hand off and all the blood rushes out that wound at that point in time. That, that's kind of like what it was like. I was like, shit. I ain't what the fuck I was looking at. My body was like, oh, we know what we're looking at. You're going to have to wait a couple of years to figure out what you're looking at. But we know. I stood there just watching. And I wish I could remember the smart-ass comment she had back to me. But I can't remember what it was. But she knew what she was doing. Years later, I figured out they was fucking with me. I'm sorry. Teasing me. She was teasing me. Like Bernie Mac would say. Rest in peace, gangster. But here we are, 40, 30 years later, I still remember that moment. I don't know wherever she, whatever became of her in life, later on life. I do know the short term, and I do know some backstory on it, but I obviously not going to put all that out there because then you might know. And I don't want to put them out there. But like I said, no one remembers this story. Maybe she does. But no one really remembers this story because it was just two or three of us there and it was 30 years ago who the fuck remembers that other than me I was the only guy there so the only one remembers is me but it was a very 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 uh, enjoyable moment for myself I hold that in a special place in my heart
as I always will. All right, folks. That's it. That's all I got for you tonight. I will see you back in a couple days. I thank you for showing up. Hope you enjoy what we talked about. Let me know any thoughts you have, concerns, comments, questions. No, fuck them concerns. I'm not really worried about concerns. Just comments. You know, don't be concerned. And if you're going to message me for an apology about something I might say you disagree with, feel free. <laughs> I'll send the apology in the mail. All right. As always, I am Gregory. Enjoy yourself. Literally and figuratively. <laughs> Bye.